A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And welcome back to the Two Naughties podcast, everyone. And I'm your co-host, Timmy Long, and my co-host, James Leonard. Hi, everybody. Uh, today, we have a very special guest. He's a local Nori. He's a businessman and he's also somebody that is helping a lot of people at the moment with his seminars and he helps a lot. He does an awful lot of stuff as well in the background, you know, and he helps a lot of different organizations and he's here today to share his experience in life and he's going to tell us a little bit about what he's doing today and his name is Paul McCarthy. Welcome, Paul. How are you? Uh, thanks to me. Uh, thanks, James. Thanks, Ronan. Thanks for having me here today. It's uh, been a long time coming. Um, you know, it's meant to be here before, but I'm here today. It's an honor to be here, you know, and uh, it's an honor to be in your company. And uh, just before we start, uh, I'd just like to congratulate Tuvi, what you've done in the last two years for the people of the North Side. I grew up with you. I've probably just been a bit older, so fair play to Tuvi. And the highlight for me was Tuvi selling out the Opera House. So Thank big you, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you Thank very you. much. And we were, we were actually on, uh, we were in St. Luke's Church at the weekend with Blind Boy as well. So that was uh, an amazing experience. And it was, you know, when you're sitting there with somebody that you actually used to listen to two years ago and who helped you along your own journey, because mm. I got some great advice from listening to his yeah. podcast. It was amazing, and to be up on that stage even with James, like yeah. I was up there, <laughs> I was sitting down with the two, two of the biggest brains <laughs> that I know, straight up, right? And two of them are super kind of uh, educated, and they, they know their stuff, and, and I was just to be listening to the two boys, you know, but I, I felt comfortable around the two of them because I knew I was in safe hands, mm. because they understood my back, they understood mm. me as well, and it was a great night. We had an absolute but, great but night. I think, uh, like... Why, why what we do works is because you have the emotional intelligence side of it, the spiritual side yeah. of it. So I mean, you can connect with people on a level that 99% of people can't. And you have an emotional intelligence that you would find it very hard to, for somebody else to have it. You mm. know, right here, Timmy talking about his spiritual experience and ayahuasca and meditation, yeah. stuff like that. The words and, you know, the introspection and all that's unbelievable insight. But then I would bring intellectual side mm. of it a bit of theory or something just to help people understand mm. another side of it so like there's no that's better than this they complement yeah. each other and that's why we are where we are mm. and we got another reward today yeah mm. it's our second reward this yeah. award this month to me the cork or the rebel spirit awards sponsored by uh, mbc financial investments and uh rowan on the decks was up there accepting mm. the award on our behalf so how did that feel ron yeah uh, strange <laughs> uh, and he, uh, and uh, 
just because this this will be aired now a couple of weeks down the line, but uh, this morning uh, Will Smith p- popped the head off Chris Rock up on stage, you know. <laughs> but uh, I was saying to Ron, go up and slap Tiger Hickey if he doesn't get. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't slap Tiger Hickey. Yeah. But uh, well done, Tiger. Well done, Tiger. Well done. We'll horse into it, pal. Yeah. For the people that don't know you, we go way back. Who was Paul McCarthy? Where are you from? I was like growing up. Um, my name is Paul McCarthy. I'm from Holly Hill. I uh, grew up in uh, Kilcairn Close, um, an amazing place. I loved it. Uh, my father and mother did the, the best for me. Uh, we grew up in a, an area where was, money was tight mm-hmm. and nobody had much. Mm-hmm. You'd knock at the neighbour for sugar, for milk. But what, what one thing Holly Hill had, a lot of people know Holly Hill has knocking heenies, the same thing. Yeah. And, and uh, your uh, state is about three states up from ours. Exactly. Yeah. We're back to back. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I had is uh, the community was amazing. Uh, back then in the street leagues with Vincent's mm. out playing rounders tennis Can you remember lads? all the alleyways and laneways yeah, in, in the back and yeah. and yeah. old, remember O.D.'s shop and yeah yeah that? That <laughs> Hogan's Lane and, and Hogan's Lane up, up, up yeah. the remember the big house there in Hogan's Field yeah. we do yeah. we do and Happy if you go up there and if you were yeah. caught up there by them you'd be killed <laughs> so many there got killed going up that yeah. lane remember the big gate outside Brunchy's gaff yeah there used yeah. to be a big gate there yeah. used to play soccer off that was, there was a bungalow in there wasn't there that was the shop wasn't it James no, the shop is over by the back of your gaff. Yeah, the back of your gaff. If the, yeah. if, the ball, if, the, if the ball then goes over the gate, you'll be yeah. killed getting yeah. it all the time. Yeah, so uh, Cavi used to be there. I remember yeah. Derek Kavanagh yeah. next yeah. to all the lads, you know. Different place so. today, isn't it? Way different. Different place. It's different today. You know, Very quiet now today, like. Oh, because yeah. they closed off all the alleyways and it's like all cul-de-sacs now. And you know what I think as well? Like in every area, it's, it's grown up. Mm. A lot of people have matured and grown up and now there's other areas around the city, like let's say, like back in our day, like Holly Hill, Nakhmahini would have been a, a very tough, known as a tough and difficult area to live. Yeah. Now there's other areas around the city that are getting that mm, because yeah. young people go in and they grow up there. And you yeah. made a great point there, Paul, around um, the lanes and the alleyways and stuff like that. Like when I was growing up, you know, you're a bit older than Timmy, Timmy's a little bit mm. older than me. You're growing up and you're looking at people drinking on the street and antisocial behaviour. And when you're growing up in an environment like that, it comes a little bit normal. Do you know the young people that grew up behind us, they're not involved in that because the lanes was closer, they're not exposed to it as much. And it worked mm. really well for Holly Hill and Nakhnehini's transform mm. now as well. But it makes you think, like, why didn't they do that in the likes of Mayfield? Do you know when you look at Carablon, ba- mm. Shannon Lawn, Balladary yeah. Like, there's lanes and alleyways everywhere there. You can walk down the back yeah. of houses. There's escape routes all over the shop. Mm. I don't know. It's just like, if it works in one area, why don't you implement it in another area? Do you mm. know? I, I yeah. do know one thing because the, in each terrace, there, there would have been, like, committees. I do know one thing. They fought very hard over the years because if you go back then, like we, between the alleyways, there was a lot of drinking. Mm. There was a lot of drug use. There was a lot, a lot of crime. And what happened over the years? They fought so hard to close off all the alleyways. So it took years of pressure mm. to finally yeah. get them closed off. Remember the tarmac over by our stairs? Ah, the tarmac. I know the tarmac <laughs> too well. What happened to me is that I went from I went from Kilcair and close. Then I started going up to Arcullen with a yeah. brunchy and um, and Derek Cabin, all the lads there. And what happened then, then we went down towards Arcullen with yourselves, yeah. with your brother Keith yeah. and stuff like that. I remember Doogie, your yeah. neighbour and Paul Lynch, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Paul Lynch's father, played yeah. with Grattan. Yeah. And then, then I made a step off to the tarmac. And then when I went to the tarmac, that's where things really took off. The yeah. abnormal became normal. Mm. And stuff that we got up to during the daytimes. We're talking here on the height of the ecstasy as well. Uh, yes, the 90s. Yeah. yes. Nine times, the, weren't there? Back in the 90s, yeah. what happened, as you said, like we grew up and I saw people on the road taking drugs, crime and what happens as as a young person you look up and whoever was the most um let's say craziest person on the road 
for some reason you'd you look up to that person and then you want to become that person yeah. and subconsciously unknown to yourself as the years go on you become that person yeah. and so what we had down in Hollyville was like the abnormal became normal mm. like drink like people say when did you drink first our drugs Back in our time, it was just hand in hand. It was normal yeah. to drink and take drugs mm-hmm. together. Yeah. And then you, you have getting into Henry's. I remember, I remember when Derek Cavanagh was the first of us to go into Henry's. My brother and them would have been before that. But I remember Derek Cavanagh saying to me, it's just five days left. And I said, five days left for what? For Henry's. Then I said, I don't understand. Then when I got into Henry's myself, <laughs> I was counting down the days every yeah. single day. Then when we got in there on a Saturday night, it was like heaven. What was it like? Oh, stop. Henry's, Henry's <laughs> back in the day for me, was the best nightclub I was ever in. It was like this. When we were in the first, we had to give ID because everyone would try to go in at 16. My brother used to actually just go in through the roof. Okay. <laughs> but we give ID. When you get in there and when you just go up the steps and it was just like, it was just like peace, heaven. And everyone at that time, it was the ecstasy uh, yeah. era. Everybody would have been on ecstasy. If you were in Henry's just drinking, it didn't, it was just yeah. ecstasy. And then you're there for them few hours and someone you saw on the road that you mightn't like or mightn't talk to, you loved everybody. There was no, there was Harry, never violence, never nodding. It was just love. And for them few hours, it was just like the world was outside and gone. Mm. And you were just there and it was just in heaven and everyone, everyone felt the same. Then for us, that progressed because Henry's was just one night. As time went on, sidetracks then popped up. And then we learned we can go to sidetracks on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So then the progression happened from there. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're out for five or six days. And that become like a recurring thing. Yeah. And we all thought it was normal because yeah. everyone was doing it. Were you in school in around your teenage years that time? Yes. I, at that time, I was being in, I went from, I was, my primary school was Churchfield. And then we went from there into Northmon. Yeah. So I was in, in the Northmon. And in the Northmon, I was doing this hand in hand at the start. I was able to do it mm. and, and, and go to school and go out and do it. But as time went on, uh, I couldn't do it. Mm. Getting up for school was difficult. Turning up for school was different. What we done from a young age, we used to go to the early houses like the Wolf Tone and Charlie's. Mm. So from a young age, we were going to the early houses. And again, that became normal. I remember going to early houses on a Sunday morning and a Monday morning and getting in the door and just saying, ah, I'm safe. I'm here. Because you'll be out for a few days, you'll be coming down off everything, the nerves be settling in, the head be panicking, mm-hmm. and all you want to do is get a drink and just to calm down. And I remember, <laughs> like, an hour beforehand, you could be terrified and full of fear, and then you, you couldn't tell any of the lads mm. that you're full of fear mm. or terrified, because yeah. you had to have the macho image. As soon as you got a point down, mm. and everything mm. relaxed. Again. And the, the darker the pub, the better as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but is there, you know, is there a worse feeling in the world than getting thrown out of a gaff at six o'clock oh, in the morning sure. with the crows con in the, in the air and yeah. sick from ease yeah. and an off license a pub open for another two or three hours? Yeah. Like that's a horrible place to be, isn't it? It's a lot. It's, it's, it's the longest few hours ever. Oh, I, I remember back in many a party when you're coming down off all the drugs and then you start tripping. Mm. and there's nothing left to take and then you're scared to look at the person next to you you're hallucinating mm. your things things are going wrong and it's amazing you go into that early morning or someone comes with drink and you, you just take the first sup mm. and for some reason everything's perfect again mm. <laughs> then you drop another 10 easy away with you then for the day again yeah. but that uh, going back to the Henry's thing that Henry's was completely lawless it was lawless there was you could, you, I seen some mad shit going on inside in that place. We used to, we were about 14, 15, and we used to go inside gate, break up the side gate, go up. Fucking hour later, we were crawling along the floor. 
<laughs> we wouldn't even know where we were. It was just, a, it was a real mad, it was like something you'd see in holidays yeah. back in the day. No, Henry's was just yeah. completely I mad. remember I, I was in there a good few times when it was an underage disco as well, yeah. you know, so we'd be on before you like, and uh, there was the R&B room and then there was the dance music yeah. room and stuff like that. And mm. we see down in some corner and some fella's hand be down some man's pants yeah. and then... <laughs> Some fella's job be up around his air over in that yeah, corner and that stuff was, like that. But she used to be very violent for the younger, yeah. the younger group, I think. I don't know. The teenagers always seem to be a bit more volatile anyway. Yeah, yeah. And the other days, the Carol Cox and all them coming. Mm. Like, yeah. It was an, a normal Fish thing. Fish go deep. Yeah, to come to the Cork Henry's. It was well-renowned around Europe. It was. Like Greg, Greg and Shane. Yeah. Norvana famously played there. Cork yeah. Cobain and all them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you were out taking these and drinking and stuff like that, you're a young man at this stage was a cause and conflict for you with your mum and dad or like what way was things at home at that time? It was, it was looking when at that age, I didn't really see like the destruction it was causing. I knew I was causing damage. Okay. But I was the type of person that when I was out in addiction for, I could be back in a party and for the strangest reason, I would, I would, I would get something dropped to my mum's house. Crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I always financially would have supported or would have put money up because mm-hmm. I would have moved out of home young with my wife that I have now. But what, like when I look back at what I'd done, I n- I'd come home at three o'clock in the morning. I'd have the good intentions. My brother Glenn just would never come home. Mm-hmm. But I would come home at three o'clock in the morning and I'd go up the window and I'd jump out mm-hmm. and go back to the party and I'd come home for three days. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. my intention was always trying to get back home. But the fear I put into my mother and father, mm-hmm. I was lucky my father wouldn't mind me saying this. My, my father is 37 years sober. So he would have got sober when I was four or five. So he would have known it. I would have seen people in my house that would go, go to meetings and stuff like all the time. So, and I would have seen them. But like they would have been going to a different fellowship. But I would have never identified and said I was an alcoholic myself. I would have always said I was a drug addict from a young age, mm-hmm. but never an alcoholic, not knowing that drink is a drug. Yeah. And so my dad would have had understanding, but my poor mother, my poor mother had no understanding. And uh, and the damage and destruction we done to my mum, I never came home was violent, yeah. but, but I, I never turned up. The worry, the stress, and my mother would be old school. My mother's 71. I never ever heard my mother to this day speak one negative word about anybody. Yeah. She's a very positive and holy person. And so we go for a few days. When I come back, my mum would never shout, but she wouldn't talk to me for three or four days and it killed me. Because mm. I knew what I was doing to her. I tried to buy her mm. present. And I often send someone in town to buy her jeans and send her home to her. Mm. When I was out of my head, I was thinking, I need to look after my mum. Yeah. Like mm. in my family, there's six of us, four of us are in, in recovery. So there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of addiction in the family. Yeah. And my mother had to put up with all that. Mm. So that's something that to this day, right now, I still make an amends and I will be for the rest of my life to my mm. mother, you know. It just goes to show how self-centeredness addiction is. Mm. You know, like it doesn't matter how much you yeah. love somebody. Um, you will, you you will hurt them like over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's not that, like some people that don't understand addiction might think like he's just selfish, he cares about nobody but himself. Yeah. You know, he's cold and you know. But when you're in it, you do actually feel the guilt and the shame. 100%. But sometimes you can't control it. Like when you're knee deep in it anyway, it's like you've no control over it until you're coming down or until the party's over yeah. or else. Sometimes if you're unlucky. You're in the middle of a party and you get a thought into your head and it kills your mood, you mm. know. That can happen too. And then, you, you know, it's the, they come down, but, um, and then it's like, oh, I, I, I won't do it again, I won't do it again. Mm. Then you do it again, and then you do it again. It's just the self-centeredness of addiction, you know, it's mm. a key characteristic to it, like. Yeah. I, 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 I was there one day, right? 
And this is, someone asked me once, can I sum, summarize up addiction? And I goes, this is how I can summarize it up. I was working for a company for 15 years, great company. We were, we were delivering drinks all day, soft drinks. Every time I stopped, I was uh, going to the pub and I was taking them, um, getting pints, getting bottles where I could, into the toilet, taking lines, just getting through the day. We were coming back from Tipperary and he, he said, like, my name is Paul, but my nickname is Charlie. And he said, Charlie, he goes, you're such a nice person. Why do you have to do this? And I just looked at him, his name was Alan. I said, Alan, you have kids, don't you? He goes, I do. If somebody hit your kid, what would you do? I want to kill him. I goes, that's the way I need to drink. And that's the way I summed up, summarized my addiction, that I, I had no control of the first drink. Yeah. And when I drink, something happened to me. And mm. next thing I'm there four days, I wasn't, I wasn't an alcoholic or drug addiction, whatever name you put on it, that would drink every day. I, mm. I would drink. The, in Holly Building, my nickname was The New Man. From 13 or 14 years of age, I suffered terrible. And I would say after every bender, I'm done, mm. I'm done, I'm done. And from a young age, I was getting panic attacks. And then I never understood it, that it was the first drink. And when I took a drink, something happened to me. I always had good intentions, but I'd wake up four or five days later and I'd say, what are we after doing? Mm. And I used, to, I used to be destroyed over it. You said something there from a young age, you were getting panic attacks. <clears throat> do, you know, do you think the, the drink and the drugs helped them or made them worse? My, my first panic attack, I still remember, at 16 years of age, I never got one. My mum and dad were in Spain. Mm. I was missing for a week. I was driving for this, the same company down to Little Island. Mm. I told the driver, stop the truck. I thought I was dying. I didn't know what a panic attack was. And I jumped onto the, the grass and put my head down and I held on to her. I thought I, thought I was going to die. Mm. And I just, that was my first ever panic attack. It, the drinking, I knew straight away it was the drinking drugs. Mm. I was in hospital, oh, not, not exaggerating now, over a hundred times of panic attacks. The doctors kept on telling me every week. I'd go in there every week. I used to walk around, I used to think I was getting heart attacks. Paul, you're a lovely fella. Stay away from the drinking drugs. I said, you'll be fine. And it's amazing when I give up the drinking drugs. When I was getting sober at the start, I was still getting mm. panic attacks. Then after a few months being clean, they were gone. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. A couple of times, a couple of times there, um, especially around 17 and 18, we'd be taking a lot of ecstasy. Not like ecstasy on a Friday and Saturday night, but mm. Wednesday morning, job mm. down the St. Anne's with a bone and wheelie bin, you know. <laughs> but you know, after a few days of it then, the heart would go. And yeah. if, like you get a, a weird one then, you know. Yeah. I remember a couple of times being down in the mercy with my mum. And, you know, just being embarrassed, like, you know, mm. because you're your mom, you're to be dating drugs yeah. and all that type of, but like, and, you know, I remember one of the days I was down there, it was after a load of ease now, and it was down there anyway, I felt like my heart was going to explode in my chest and I got a, I thought I was going to die. Mm. You know the way it is, like? Yeah. And the doctor said, uh, was saying to me, ma'am, look, if it doesn't calm down in the next, you know, 15, 20 minutes, we'll monitor it. We might have to give him some diazepam. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> my ears pricked in. Yeah, I was like, yeah. you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But it just shows you how mad it is, you know. Yeah. Somebody mentioned that, man, which is Valium for the people that don't know. Like, and that's yeah. where my head went, you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. the panic was gone already, God. you know. You're perfect. <laughs> Go again. Those kind of meds really did work for, you know, like even when I was using cocaine myself and, and, and ease and stuff. I would always lean to prescribe meds as the, the thing to bring me back down. Do you know, when you get too high, mm. you know, if you take too much cocaine or if you take too much, too many ease, you'd always need to lean towards a spirit, which would be a whiskey or a vodka and maybe a prescribed meds, mm. which back in the day were, for me would have been the, the D10s, the Purple Hearts. Um, there are different things. And, and, and when we're talking about this here, no, we're not 
it's just our experience anything up we're just talking about it for what it was but it was it was something and I always look back and I say jeez if I didn't take them or I didn't have them that time like god like I probably would have died you know but you know but the other thing about it is to me like we everybody in the table here has known somebody that we were when we were younger that's not here today and the hearts gave in or whatever they vomited in their sleep whatever Mm -hmm. this, this always happens like when you think of the amount of amphetamine that you put into your body, the amount of, you know, MDMA and mm. cocaine and uppers, and then we take a lot of tranquilizers on top of that. Don't like that does take us toll on the heart eventually. Yeah. Like, and, but for the grace of God, we were hospitalized many times yeah. and we came through it, but others were so lucky. And, you know, that's the terrible tragedy and all of this. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it is. I say you've come like, if you're vintage, you know, of your age, there's a lot of people from your era that have passed away a lot of people um, I have a few very uh, close and dear friends that I would have brought to their first meeting they'd been friends over the years and um, some went abroad never came home some ended it themselves they couldn't handle the head and uh, because what happens with addiction as we all know addiction when it gets to a place it's the head I think most people come into um, recovery and they ask for one thing please how do you relax this Mm because what happens us in addiction we take stuff and just kind of camps us for a few minutes. And then what happens when you come into recovery, you want to just fix the head mm-hmm. and just come into peace. And what happens, some people, unfortunately, they, they don't make recovery, they can't get it, they can't handle the head, and then they, they do it themselves. And that's the unfortunate thing, you know? So no. it's um, it's scary, it's really scary. And out there at the moment in 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 this in this time, compared to even back in our time, it's got more scarier, unfortunately. And the drugs yeah. are a lot scarier. Uh, a lot harder, yeah. The drugs as well, but listen, back then, when we were growing up, there was no such thing as social media or phones. Thank back God. Then either. We were lucky. And <laughs> It'd we, be a different story told. <laughs> exactly. And, and we were very uh, mm. social. Mm. We got on. We didn't get on. We fought. We didn't fight. Mm. We were on ecstasy. We hugged and told each other. We loved each other. Mm. You know, it was, there were the times, but no, it's, it's a different, it's a different, different era. You know, it's a different, different era. And it, it, it must, it's a very, very strange time to grow up, you know, because we've so many different platforms where you have to, where, where people have to look and be a certain way, you know, and, and a lot of our kids are growing up in that era. And, 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 and I might, I'd actually be scared for, mm. for my own kids, you know, because, um, because a lot of it is is not real, you know, and, and that's the reality of it. And um, I think this generation growing up around all this stuff, and James was on about at the beginning about that book, Stall of Focus, and, and, and I he, he told me about it and I listened to it myself. And we are growing up in an era where we're losing touch of ourselves in a lot of different ways, you know. Like our generation now, we're leaning more towards the spirituality side of things mm-hmm. and, and learning about the, the mind and the emotions and how to be in the present moment. You know, a lot of that stuff isn't, is not happening at the moment. You know, it's not happening and we need to, we need to be more firm, I think, around phones and social media yeah. with our children because uh, I see it in my own home. I it's another addiction, like 100% James. It is. And the sugar um, is another one. Sugar. Yeah. <laughs> sugar, sugar is a huge addiction in this day and age. Huge, huge. Can you remember back in the day, right? Yeah. Uh, like 
you would have fiends eating sugar on bread. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> that's what happened. And, and if, if you were going on a school tour, you might get a hundred penny jellies, a few bags of potatoes. Yeah. That was it. But we didn't have access to bar. Like I, certainly in my house, anyway, we didn't have cupboards full of bars and chocolates and potatoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in this day and age, by you can get shit food for so cheap at the moment, you know, and obesity is another epidemic. But if we bring it back to your story, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about what life was like for you in your twenties? Yeah, well, what I done is uh, in my teenage years, it was a lot of addiction. And then at um, at 21 years of age, uh, my addiction really was at, um, was at a very high level. And uh, I met uh, a beautiful girl. And today she's my wife, uh, Jackie. Hi, Jackie. And, um, Jackie. So I met Jackie, we can say on a Friday, and I moved in on a Saturday. So I went, sh- moved straight out of Hollyhill into Blackpool, you know. And for me, it was just like more freedom to do what I want. And, uh, and I fell for Jackie straight away. And, uh, I said, this is it. And what happened, it gave me a license for more addiction. Mm. And, uh, and unfortunately, uh, Jackie didn't sign up to that, but uh, I, I was in the height of my addiction. And, uh, I always knew I was a good person inside, but I had no control. And what happened to me then as I went into my twenties, uh, I bought in all the wrong people into my life. I bought guards into my life. I bought guards around my door. And what happened, my addiction, I knew it was getting to a place of no return. And I was starting to get these thoughts and I was starting to question, why am I here? Mm. And then for me, a turning point for me was the 23rd of January, 2004, I was sitting inside Charlie's. I was scared of my life. I had a paper. I was scared of the barman, scared of everyone. But prior to this, that week, I'd been in all sorts of fights and troubles. And Mm. I was starting to turn on people that I loved the most because I got so paranoid. If you told me that morning I would have been in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that night, I would have said, no way. Uh, my dad was looking for me. I had no change of clothes for a week. I walked in home that night. I looked at my father. I said, I think it's time. He, brought, he rang my uncle and uh, they brought me to my first meeting that night, my uncle did. And I remember going into the meeting that night, listening to a man uh, sharing. And at that stage, I, I was questioned, was I schizophrenic? I asked my dad to bring me to St. Anne's. Mm. And I came Saint home my, is, a, yeah, is a hospital yeah, for people. And uh, I came home that night to my dad and he goes, Dad, all I am is an alcoholic. And for me, what a relief. And my journey started then. The next chapter in my life started then in the, in the recovery of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, so what I, age in 2004? I was uh, just turned uh, 25 years of age. <sighs> I was the first of all my friends to break away into recovery. And it was the first to step out and uh, go down that journey. What was it like? Um, because I remember an early recovery for myself, you know, because my friends would have been still involved in addiction at the time, but most of them, anyhow. Yeah. And uh, I found it quite isolating and a little bit lonely mm. and a little bit like, um, like as if I was being disloyal or who do you think, who, who do I think I was any better than anybody else? You know, all that kind of mm. inner, mm. inner stuff. Did you have that going on? I had... Um, as I was the first uh, person, as you said, uh, I was told in A, like, you know, like, you need to stay away from your friends. So, mm-hmm. like, my friends was my brothers and sisters. And uh, and my best friend, Mickey, and all the lads, they said, stay away from them. And I said, how can I do this? But you know what? I was so tormented in my head. All I wanted was peace. I would have ran to the moon for what they told yeah. me. You know what? I was, I was so beaten to the ground. I was learnable. And I'd done everything they said. And I stayed away at my friends for a few years. But you know what? I was a year and a half into recovery. I'll never forget this day. I was driving a truck past Good good, uh, uh, good Vibes there. Sorry, what's that bookshop? Um, vibes and Scribes. Vibes and Scribes, sorry. Uh, we've uh, a WhatsApp called Good Vibes. I got mixed up. And um, But that prior that morning, I was at home roaring crying. 
I was, they were explaining to me about getting a higher power into your life. I didn't mm. understand what higher power was. I didn't understand anything. And I was wrong crying. I got on my knees and I asked for help. The pain in my head was unbelievable. My, my ability to, to stop my thoughts, I couldn't. I was so fast. I questioned everything. I had no peace. I couldn't sleep. I was losing weight. I lost the ability to have conversations with my friend from a fellow when I was young, positive, outgoing, involved in everything. And something told me, just stop that van. I went into the girl with tears in my eyes. I said, please give me the best spiritual book you have. She goes, there's a book there called Eckhart Tolle by the Power of Now. She gave me that book. I went home. I remember after 10 pages, I said to my wife, this is what I was looking for all my life. That book spoke about the voice in your head mm. and how to relax that voice. And when I started on that journey, for the first time in my life, it was like a valve just was taken off my head. And what happened? I got this peace in my life. I didn't understand it for a long time, but all I knew was that I was happy, I was peaceful, and my thoughts were after relaxing. Mm. And I, there was simple techniques in that book that helped me connect back with who Paul was. Mm. And I knew from that day, for the rest of my life, this is what I need to work on myself. And plus, I need to bring this to people. Because everybody, whether you're in addiction or not, suffer with this voice in the head and this negativity. And when you look around at uh, humanity right now, like the number one sickness that I see in the whole planet is a race in brain. And when you learn how to relax your head and actually observe your thoughts, mm. what happens is you have peace. And the great analogy is this. If I block your eyes, you can't see. If I, if I block your ears, you can't hear. If I cloud your mind with thoughts, you go insane. And that's what's after happening in most humanity. The abnormal is after coming normal. And people are so caught up in the head. If you go back to 20, 30 years ago, we talked to our neighbor, as you said, well, ago, we were there, we fight, we scream, but we ask for sugar 10 minutes later. Mm. Right now, we're all in a rush to get to the next place. We're all in a rush to get up in the morning. If you get up in the morning, we're brushing our teeth. We can't wait to be in work. We're in work. We can't wait to be home. We're at home, we can't wait to be in the shower. Before we know it, it's nighttime again. Mm. And what happens, we're caught up so much in our head that we're, we're actually away from reality. Mm. And in Eckhart Tolle in The Power Now, he talks about how to bring that back. And, and you know what? How to enjoy your day. Mm. And that's one of the, that was the biggest uh, transformation in my life when I picked up The Power Now. It's a great book, isn't it? Unbelievable. Timmy put me on to it last mm. year when you started doing the, the WhatsApp voice messages yeah. and stuff. And they started coming along to my phone too. And you might talk to us a little bit about that yeah. in a minute, but uh, that was my introduction to it. It's one of those books. It's hard to get your head around, isn't it? Um, at the start, But yeah. you know what I found yeah. very beneficial? There's yeah. the Audible version, the audio version, right? Yeah, yeah, the audio. And in the audio book mm. version, there's an, uh, Eckhart is narrating the book himself, but mm. there's also a lady there that's asking him, to, can you explain this Eckhart? Mm. Can you explain that? Yeah. And it was fucking brilliant because yeah. she was asking the questions I wanted yeah. to ask. And it helped me to understand that one of the key points was what, as you said, like, is to, um, don't, don't, get your sense of who you are from your thoughts because you will think that you're crazy. Mm. And I, I'm uh, listening to Inuart at the moment, which is another Brilliant book by book. him. Brilliant. And uh, in that, he talks about the schizophrenic. You mentioned schizophrenics. Mm. He said, if you think of a schizophrenic or even like uh, uh, somebody that has a mental illness and they're talking to themselves and we look at them, we say, oh, he's gone fucking <laughs> mad. But all he's doing, right, is verbalizing what he's thinking. Yep. We all think, yeah. but we just don't, some of us don't verbalize yeah. it. Some of us do. So who's actually, like, who are we to look down on anybody with a mental illness? Maybe, maybe they don't have a mental mm. illness at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're just verbalizing, you know, but, um, and another thing you mentioned there was around, um, 
ruining your day over stuff. And I think in that book as well, he talks about like, they say you wake up in the morning, right? The alarm is set for seven and you wake up at eight. And you wake up, right? And you're fucking kicking yourself because you're after waking up late. I know you're going to go into work and your boss is going to kill you. And he says, eight o'clock in the morning, knowing your day is ruined already. Yep. About stuff that's after happening in the past, you woke up late. And stuff that might happen in the future about your boss. And it's like, you know, if you just keep your head in the present, it's very hard for a problem to exist in the present moment. And when you start to learn that, then all of a sudden it's become a bit more manageable, doesn't yeah. it? Oh, it's, 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 it's unreal because you've explained it very well. Like, I, I like to give the analogy, say, to some people, if you're going down Patrick Street and you see someone on the road, he might have done something wrong to you 30 years ago in school. By the time you get to McCartan Street, in your head, you're fighting him, fighting his kids. You're probably at his funeral. You probably <laughs> say, the next time I see him, I'm going to kill him. And, and next thing you, might, you might see him the next day and you salute him. But your head plays so many stories on you that are not true. And, and what's very important, what he points out in the power now and the new art, you are not your thoughts. When I s- sat back and realized that, I am not that voice in my head. And when I can create a distance in between my voice, like, I like to, a simple analogy is this. Let's say... You get a phone call tomorrow for your, your kid. And the teacher says, um, your kid's after bullying somebody. So that's a thought. Now, there's a tinker of a thought. By the time you get to the next morning, you're probably after arguing with the principal, mm-hmm. killing your son, killing the other son, probably saying it's not even my son's fault. Mm-hmm. Your story, will have, you played about 3,000 stories that are not true. By the time you get into the principal the next day, he might say, it's not too bad actually at all. We actually found out more. So what happens is that when you learn to observe that tinker, a presence starts growing within you. Mm. And what happens then is that instead of your thoughts controlling you, you now control your thoughts. And that's so, so, so important. Mm. And what happens then, there's a presence will grow and that presence is like, it's like the innocence of a child. So what Eckhart Tolle is doing is bringing you back to that innocence. Because when, when you're young, well, let's say you know, we were out in the front when we were young and Roy Keane scored a goal in the World Cup. Mm. We are, We'd be out on the road, we think we're Roy King. Yeah. Okay? If you see Michael Jackson singing when you were young, you start singing, you believe in Michael Jackson. That's why Albert Einstein says imagination is more powerful than knowledge. But then when we get older, there's none of that. Mm. It's like we settle for the norm. We're conditioned by society. No, don't dream anymore. Don't have more goals anymore. But when mm. you start coming into self-development and coming into all this stuff, first when I came into this stuff, people say, oh, that's all that positive stuff. It's not. Because everybody should have a goal. Everybody should have a dream. So like for the audience now, like everyone now just think of a goal and a dream. And what happens then when you start thinking of goals and dreams, the dormant cells inside your body start to wake up. Like if you get up for work in the morning and, and settle for the norm, your day, your day becomes mundane. Mm. And then there's no, there's no dream and no goal. But see what happens, a lot of people would get wrong with goals is that they think when they get to the goal, they're going to be happy. That's not, it's not the goal, it's the destination, it's the journey. So mm. life is a journey. And life's about, as you say, well, go enjoying the present moment. And when you make the present moment your best friend, there is no problems. So all this information that we're talking about now is exactly what you learned from the power now back yeah. then. And you were 24. Um, or no, you were probably about 25. I was, 20, I was 25. When I came into recovery, 25, so I picked up the power now yeah. 26. And, and your life started to change. Mm. You started to become more aware. With the power now, the book of the power now, what else helped you massively. I know meetings were very, very good. Well, you said something very important there. With the power of now, okay, I learned a lot about who Paul was. Mm. I learned I wasn't that voice in my head that was killing me, that I was inside that, there was an awareness. And I learned simple techniques, a very good technique for the audience right now is a 
everyone knows, no matter, no matter where you are, just be where your legs are on the ground just right now. But let's all do it together. Just be where your legs are on the ground and be where you're sitting on the seat. And now, what are you thinking about now? Your body. Mm. Every time you take your attention away from your head and into your body, you're present. So what I got told, it taught me, it was about awareness and about to anchor myself in the present moment. Then as I went on a few years, I met a gentleman, I believe he had on the podcast before, my mentor, Stevie McGowan. Yeah. And Stevie McGowan then introduced me to the law of attraction. So then with the goals and the dreams, I would have learned all that. So what, what for me, I would have met the likes of Bob Proctor. Mm. I would have been, I would have met Abram Hicks. So what I, what I didn't know over the years is, is mix two of them together. I heard some people, they love Moji, they don't like Tony Robbins. Yeah. What I learned over the years, take the best from all of them. Yeah. So what I done is learn who I was as Paul. And then when I learned about the law of attraction, that if you change your thoughts, you can change your life. That blew me away because your body's made up into two parts. You have your conscious mind. We are the first species through the history of time to have the ability to think and the ability to create. It was never, ever, no species before us ever had that. And what I learned is that your subconscious which is, is connected to the cosmos that operate the universe. So you can apply the laws of the universe and you can actually create your own reality. So the thoughts that we've been thinking for the past three months is what's in your life today. The Nari's podcast started as a thought. Mm. Over 150 years ago, I thought one day that I'm going to put a plane in the sky. And because the whole world is made of thinking stuff, see. And so as you start holding that vision and you believe in that vision, you collapse time. And when you collapse time, your subconscious doesn't understand if you're visualizing something or if it's real, it believes it as fact. So all, there was a book called The Think and Grow Rich. Andrew Carnegie was the richest man in the world. He paid Napoleon Hill for 25 years of his life to study the 500 most successful men of all time. And they all said what I'm saying now. Bruce Lee, when he was nobody, wrote down in a check. Sorry, no, not him. Jim Carrey, when he was nobody, wrote down in a check for 10 million when he had no money. And he cashed that years later. Bruce Lee wrote down, he was going to be the first martial artist to make it in Hollywood when he was nobody. So the, all, all the guys said the same thing. So there's universal laws that operate the universe. And when you tap into them, you actually create your own reality. And when I heard that first, I said, wow. And when I was explaining that to people, their reality at that time was in a very difficult place. So they mm. found it hard to receive that. Mm. But my journey, when, when I first came into recovery, I, 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 fortunately, I was financially okay. But then when, by the time I picked up the power, now I lost everything. And I was there one day with my son. I had no money. I was struggling to survive. I was behind in the mortgage, but I was happy. And I said, money doesn't make me happy. I mm. was, I believe by the system, I was taught that money was the answer to everything. And then what happened in years later, when I was starting to recover, when I got the law, when I came across the law of attraction, financially, I wasn't in a good place. And I says, I'm going to apply these laws in with Eckhart Tolle's information. And for me, the two of them brought me on a whirlwind all over the world. That was crazy. And I learned for myself that these universal laws do operate. You said something very interesting there about um, the law of attraction. Okay. And, and from my own experiences around all that stuff as well, the visualization of what you want, right? You, you knew how the formula works. Okay. And between your vision, exactly what you want to who you are right now at this moment in time, right? There's time, mm -hmm. there's space, yeah. right? Explain to people how that space and time gets smaller and smaller and smaller, okay? I know what it is mm -hmm. and it's about living in that place right now, mm -hmm. feeling that emotion, how you would feel when you have what you want. It might be, it might be financial freedom for me, 
it was free peace. I wanted peace. I wanted to heal. I wanted to heal as a human being. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to feel the way I did around my life and who I was. And I kept visualizing that healthy person walking around, peace inside the head, happy, saying hi to people. And before I knew it, because I kept visualizing that and feeling that emotion of happiness and joy and excitement, that happened. Mm. I remember that day walking down the corridor inside in the CIT, explain to people. A okay. little bit. You said something very important there. And this is a lot of people get the law of attraction wrong. They believe by looking at the secret, which is brilliant by Rhonda Byrne. I think Rhonda Byrne's done amazing things. They believe when they visualize something that it should appear straight away. But there's action. You don't attract what you think. You attract what you feel. Mm. You just said that. So everything's about frequency. So as you think a thought, okay, let's everyone just think some good thoughts now. Them thoughts affect the way you feel, okay? That feeling then is a vibration. We call it good form or bad form. So good vibration, bad, low vibration. That vibration emits a frequency out into the universe. So everything's about frequency. So what is frequency for the audience? If I dial into Red FM, I'm not going to get through to 96 FM. If I ring... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. James, I'm not going to get through to Timmy. Wait, different networks, different frequency. So if you if if you're if you're emitting a high frequency, that's love, happiness, joy, peace, and freedom. What happens to a lot of people? They're on a low frequency. What's a low frequency? Uh, he said this about me. She said that about me. Uh, a bill comes in the door, which is real life stuff, and you're stressing out, uh, going down the road, beeping at someone, breaking a red light. So if you're in this drama and and you're in this anxiety, what happens then? You look at the news and the stuff going on. You're, you're attracting that into your life because them thoughts are affecting you, making you feel uh, full of anxiety. So mm. what you need to do is you need to close the gap. 
You need to close the gaps. You need to start telling yourself a different story. Get up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to have a great day. You know what? My life's absolutely fantastic. You know what? And I'm speaking from experience now. I went from financially free in three weeks to nothing. I lost everything, okay? And I was so far behind in my mortgage. I was nearly thrown out of my home. And I tell one funny story. Can I tell the story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there, okay? And I would have been living in the area with, with the lads. And... um I lost everything. And this was back in 2013. I was driving around in a car. Uh, people would have thought I was a multimillionaire and I'd nothing. The car was in cars on for a year. I couldn't sell it. And uh, I had to sign on to social welfare, which I was so grateful to get. Mm. Uh, but every, every month in the social welfare, I go over with my father and uh, I, w- I was pretending that my dad was getting it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so I would go over one day with my dad. And next thing, Timmy was in front of me. And next thing I was hiding anyway, Timmy, and I said, oh God, if he sees me here, I know, right? And, that, and for me, looking back, right, it was guilt, it was shame, it was mm. everything. And again, I am not in, against getting on the social but I was there before. But mm. for me, for being a few weeks earlier, for being so financially free, and for being here, I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't accept it. And next thing, um, Timmy looked behind me and says, Charlie, is that you? I go, yeah. He goes, you're the last person I expected mm. to be inside here, you know. Yeah. I never forget it, you know. And for me, right, I was there, as I said, I was grateful to be there and I was so happy um, that I was able to receive them payments. 430 euros every week. Mm. I had four kids and a wife and I, I, I would have been on the streets without it. And what happened to me then is that I was doing all this law of attraction stuff and I, was, I had to visualize that I was on a certain amount of, a certain amount of money each week. Well, I, I was at the bills coming through the door and I said, if this stuff really works no, Paul, you need to put into practice. So what I had to do is this, and this is very important. 10% of the day, I believed I was financially free. I was visualizing me and Jackie at the ATM machine on the holidays going all over the world and everything is brilliant. 90% of the day, I couldn't pay the bills. I nearly lost my home. I couldn't tell my wife uh, how bad it was because I was full of pride. I couldn't ask my friends and family for money. I was, I just couldn't. I was just full of pride and my head was, my head was gone. And next thing, 20% of the day, I believe I was financially free. And, and you, as you said, you have to feel it, I have to mm. believe it. And next thing I got over the tipping point, 51% of the day, next thing 60%. And things started happening in my life. Things started manifesting. I got little breaks. And this is where it's very important, action. I remember I went to Thailand to see one girl. I got involved in industry. I remember getting involved in cryptocurrency when Bitcoin was $550. People said to me, it's not going to work. And Bitcoin went down to 170 but I did my homework, did my research. So I traveled all over the world telling people about this amazing um, uh, thing called cryptocurrency. People didn't know what it was. I was saying, it's not cryptocurrency. The blockchain technology behind it is going to be bigger than the internet. It's huge. And what happened is that I had this hunger and desire. I had no money. I went to Bangladesh from Thailand or across the world to meet two people. But I was on, I was on myself and my business partner in Poland. I was so hungry. I wanted to do this and I believed I could do it. And what happened then, bit by bit, I started getting the bricks. And I had to build myself up. So the magic is when I collapse time completely, when, if you really believe your subconscious mind. So what is your subconscious for the audience? Your subconscious is part of the mind that does the breathing when you were sleeping. Mm. Your subconscious is part of the mind when you were in your mother's womb for nine months. Who brought you into this world? People get caught up in this, this power or that power. Can everyone agree on one thing? There's some, car, some sort of power to operate the cosmos and operate the whole universe. Well, your subconscious is connected to this power. And your subconscious doesn't judge. So when you believe you are financially free, your subconscious, that has to be delivered to you. So what happens is that's why I said, well, ago, the thoughts you've been thinking for the past three months is watching your life today. Mm. So if you want to change your life in the next three months, you've got to change your, your thoughts today. So yeah. when I started holding that vision of my goals and dreams, 
boom, I brought that manifestation into a reality. But there's, there's a very, very, very important point you made there as well. For 10% of your day, you, you, you felt financially free. Okay. It's very important that people understand that it, there's consistency behind that. Yeah. Like if you feel that you, you, you're, you're going through your day and you only feel financially free for 30 seconds. That's a start. Yep. The next day, it's a minute. The next day, it's 10 minutes. Mm. After that, it's an hour. And it's about consistency. It's about keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And that's where, that's how it works. Because if you're, if you're somebody that is, that's depressed or you're anxious, you know, instead of wanting to be financially free, visualize yourself as somebody that is not antisocial anymore. Mm. You can go into crowds. You can go up on a stage. That's me. Mm. That was me. I, I I couldn't say hello to people, <laughs> you know. I and and then I I couldn't go on a stage mm. and I couldn't talk in, in in front of a camera like we're doing here or or give an interview, you know. And I just kept saying, yeah, yeah, that's me. And I kept visualizing that. And the next day, and I keep doing it and I keep doing it, and it started to happen for me. And it started to happen for me because I kept that consistency up. And every time I go on before we go on stage or do anything, I'd be crippled, crippled with fear. But after James kind of gets out and does his thing, you know, and and I kind of fall into it, I'm, I, 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 I'd I, be fine. But it's all about cons- consistency. Well, and one very important part as well, because... People, when they hear the money, they get caught up in the money, right? Mm. Like, let, let me explain just in another, 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 another way. People normally want three things, okay? They want money, better relationship, better health. So let's say health. So if you, if you want to be in a better health condition, you can't, you can't focus on where you are right now. Mm. We, we have a, we have a, fr- a colleague of ours and a friend of ours. He was a 23 uh, stone. Okay. And he came to me and he said he wanted to lose, um, he wanted to lose weight. So I gave him a simple little technique what to do. But every morning I went over and over him. What way are you? 15 stone. You're a 15 stone machine. You're a 15 stone. So what happened? He imprint, imprinted that in the deeper part of his mind. Was it all rose in the garden? No. Was there obstacles? See, when you hold a vision and that vision doesn't come true, people think that that doesn't work. See, you got you to you hold the vision. And what happens then, if the universe cannot give you what you're not, the universe is going to give you what you are. So if you believe you are this person, then that manifestation will become a reality. Another another place, let's say relationship. If you have a relationship with your wife right now and it's not going according to plan or with your kids, you're, you're not going to get to a better relationship by focusing on the negative relationship that's there. You got to believe the relationship is right now. You got to live that. You got to you got to you got to you got to role play that. Mm. And and you be amazed. This is an amazing technique. Yeah. And everyone who should try this. Let's say you're procrastinating about something at home. It could be cleaning the cupboard, cleaning the boot in your car. Hold the vision for the next two days that it's already done. Mm. And within two days, you'll get inspired action to do that. That works every single time. Mm. And that will start then giving you, it's like a little victory. Ah, it works. And then another victory, then another victory. And then, then, then bit by bit, you'll start putting into practice. So it's not, mm. money is just energy. Mm. People get too caught up in the money. Mm. Okay. I'm not saying money is not handy, but don't get too caught up in the money. Because if you chase the money, which a lot of people do, the money will go away. Because the money's always in the future then. See, mm-hmm. the ego is very good at what it does. What does the ego do? The ego's job is to trick us away from the present moment. It always brings us back to the past and tells us how bad we are or into the future and creates fear. The, so t- this is the only moment we ever have. So, so what is life all about? I say to people, when you look back in this moment in 30 years time, 
You're not going to say how much money do I make. You're not going to say how many hours do I work. You're going to say how much time do I tell my wife I loved her or spend with my kids. Mm. And so life's about having fun and enjoying it. Mm. And um, I remember uh, a few months ago, I remember I, we, we called yeah. up to mm. Polly's office and I was, my head was melted. Um, you were talking to me about the pain body, which was new to me yeah. at the time. But it made sense afterwards. I remember like I, I was living next door to a fool of a neighbour and I had first issues with him. And uh, we were living in a small apartment up in Grand. I hated it up there. I lived in Knocknahini and Holly Hill all my life. I never had an issue with the neighbours. But in Gran I did. Nothing against Granny's now. Yeah, of course, yeah. Just this specific part where I was. I was thinking, how the fuck am I supposed to get out of there? And we'd no savings right at the time. And, you know, it just seems like so long, so far away. And then uh, I was saying to like, uh, I want to buy a four-bed semi, you know. And uh, so I, after that, I was like, we sent Jillian and said, we'll, we'll action something every day to make it happen. It doesn't matter if it's only sending an email or making a phone call, even if it's not answered, we're after action and something. And we bought our four-bed semi there about a month ago. Congratulations. It only took us six months. Six months, really. Now, six months of, you said a while ago, ups and downs, hard work and sacrifice and all that, but we got there. Uh, We were on the stage of Blind Boy the other night in St. Luke's Church, beautiful venue. But three years ago, uh, I was up in the venue watching Blind Boy doing a live podcast with Mick Flannery, a musician from Blarney. And I was with my cousin Caleb and he'll verify this, right? The, the podcast was not great. The guest was very shy, right? And I remember saying to Caleb, I was saying, we do a way better job than that. Like, if people are paying to see this, well, like, we've great, I, I know, I have an interesting story. I know everybody here. Mm-hmm. And we all know people that have had mad lives and that have done great things today. I remember thinking, we'd actually do way about the job. And then we were up on the stage. Me mm-hmm. said, Timmy was blind by. No, it was just a few years later, but it didn't happen like that. Me said, Timmy, had to, we had to plan the podcast. Me and Timmy have traveled to Whitton Bread of the country, trying to buy cameras for, we could yeah. buy a hair for 400, but if we drive to Dublin, we might get it 50 euros cheaper. Yeah. But these are the things you have to <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah. And it's yeah. just grind and hard work. work. And you know, yeah. like it's, but eventually like stuff starts to, the words he uses, stuff starts to manifest, stuff mm-hmm. starts to happen, but it doesn't happen by just sitting there reading the book either. You have to action stuff, don't yeah, you? Hundred percent. Like action is the magic word, and and like for anyone listening, and if you're in a near, if you're in a time in your life that's difficult, we've been all, we've been all there, and like you got to start. So like just just hold the vision for today of the life that you want, because everybody deserves to be happy. When we get up in the morning, there's not one person says straight away, nobody wants to be demented. Mm. But what happens, they're caught up in, the, in their head. And so when you hold that vision of your dreams, just put in the actions. You said, do something every day. Because you keep it in the day then. Exactly. Rather than like, I never get the house because mm. like the deposit is the killer, right? Because mm. you need a lump sum. And for people in this day and age, cost yeah. of living, mm. a lump sum is hard to get. But when you break it down to the day, action something today, you'll get there. Do you know what I mean? It's the same with the podcast. Like, this time last year, we were a million miles away from selling out the Opera House. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We wouldn't, yeah. we weren't even thinking like that. Mm. But you actually something every day, right? This week, no, who's this? Who's the guest this week, right? And and do you know what I mean? And like, what's going up on the social media today? And that's all you, all you have is today. Exactly. You know I mean, and you don't like, and maybe down the lines, you know, we might get wrong and say like gold headphones, and yeah. you know, we might fucking <laughs> have gold microphones. It might be financially <laughs> stable, and yeah. you know, maybe like uh, people contribute to us through the Patreon platforms, mm-hmm. you know, including yourself. And, uh, and, 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 and that's what makes it all work. Well, yeah. And that's what makes it all happen. 
But I'd love to be in a stage down the road where we didn't need that and we had excess cash that we could give back to causes and stuff mm. like that, you know. So before we get taken away from anything else, there's there's one very, very important aspect of your story, and I think you have to talk about it, which is um a relapse. Okay. Yeah. Right. You were off alcohol and drugs for a number of years. Twelve, 12 years. Twelve years. And you went back drinking. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit yeah, about course, that. Yeah, of course, yeah. I was very involved in um, Alcoholics Anonymous. I never mind breaking my own anonymity, but I won't break, yeah. I would never break anybody else's. And I was very involved. Yeah. And um, without Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. And I'm forever grateful. But I gave up the drink when I was 25. And I was very close to my sister, Yvonne. And, um, and uh, we were together and very, very close. And I started having chats about going back out there. And uh, after 12 years, I said, you know what, I was, I was young then. Maybe it's maybe something different. Yeah. And I was in a meeting that week on a Monday, knowing what I was doing. And I would have been very active in the fellowship. And I would have been very close to a few people. And that Wednesday, I picked up a drink. I knew what I was doing. It didn't go insane. And I said, what was all that about? And for the first six months, I thought I made the proper decision. And uh, within nine months... I was back to where I was when I was 18 years of age. I couldn't believe Even it. Even worse. Worse. Uh, yeah. my, my work at this stage was traveling all over the world. So I was able to, uh, lucky enough, hardly do no drinking in Ireland. So my kids didn't see it. Uh, I had one daughter. Abby never saw me drinking. And then when I went out, she did a few times, but it brought me all over the world. It didn't matter what what, what country I went to. I, went, I was in Brazil, Nigeria, Cambodia, Vietnam, every single part of the planet I was. I ended up in the same neighborhoods, doing the same things, uh, got pumped one night. I took, a, I, took I was taking drugs and I, t- I took the wrong drug. I didn't even know what I was taking. Mm. We were out for seven hours. I got pumped. Prior to that, I was doing a presentation to the prime minister of that, comp- that, that country. I had all the government officials in a presentation and they all signed up to the deal I was doing. A few hours later, we were taking drugs and I got caught up in harder drugs. And then we took something that I didn't even, that I never took before. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And uh, I went out for seven hours. Uh, I was completely gone oh, and I had to get pumped yeah. and they couldn't bring me to hospital because I would have been, my name would have been known in the area. Mm. So it would have been on the news. So they had to bring in, I never forget, they brought in three girls and I was losing my memory. And I remember, my, I remember Jackie saying to me in my head, when you have the flu, you don't take anything. So what happened is that I was with two colleagues in Poland. They, they, they were in another room dehydrating and they thought I was okay. So after being seven hours out on the floor, they came in, it was a few hours later, I was on my own and my memory was going. Mm. And I swore, like, if you looked at my, for me from the outside, financially I was in a great position for my work, what I was yeah. doing, but my, I was starting to fall apart inside. And then when I, when my memory was going, they were just about to bring me to hospital. And what happened is I, I just, whatever I said, don't, don't. And I just started to come around and I swore I would never, ever uh, take anything again. I remember, I remember, um, I wasn't long out of prison at the time and I met you. We, we met each other in, in, in a meeting, local meeting in the north side. And um, I remember after a while you start, there was a bit of talk of maybe going back out having a drink. Mm. You know? And I knew that, like, I knew that that was wrong, you know. But I also knew that you had your shit together, mm. you know, because you, you, you were grateful to give a bit of advice and to talk mm. to and, you always seemed like you were you you were there. You had your you had your wits about you, but 
I, I did question your sanity at that time yeah. because, like, I knew for anybody to go back out and have a drink, especially after 12 years, mm. it could be detrimental. But what happened to you helped so many different people because of where you are in your own life mm. and how, how, how you looked from the outside to the rest of us. And then to go back and have a drink and, and to drug. Like it just, it was it, 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 for the rest of us, yeah, fucking hell. Do you know, it shows the power of addiction. I know. Right? And it stopped me from ever, ever having a thought like that, going back and having a drink, you know, because there's no getting away from it. And when I, when I was there that time, right, in this part of the world, right, I said, I'd never do it again. I came home a week later. My brother, my brother won't mind me saying this. Uh, my brother um, tried to take his own life. And uh, I was lucky that my my best friend Mickey was there, and we were able to get Glenn Glenn back right. And my brother would be, it was I was very close to my brother, and I said it never again. That was very, all very close. A week later, I was in a different country, and I was out of my head again. And I just knew at that stage that I was losing all control mm. over everything. And then my journey was starting to come back, and I I knew I had to try to get sober and clean again. And uh, but I was on the verge of like just there was. The, Everything was getting worse and worse and worse. And you said, like, I went back out. It was a shock to a lot of people. But me getting back into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous mm. was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. There's huge, yeah. there's huge amount of information and learning there now for people. So mm. I just want to dissect it a small bit. We all know, right, when a relapse happens, a relapse happens long before you pick up the drink. Mm. Can you give us a bit of insight as to what life was like for you and your what way your, your thinking was? in the months and weeks leading up to the first drink uh, for the relapse. Yeah, I was, I was, um, I came across, as I said, well, about Eckhart Tolle and I came across all this information and, uh, and spiritually I was in, I, I was in a very good place and uh, I was very contented in myself. And this is, this is the big lesson. And I'm glad you, you brought this up. Before I drank, I thought I was after getting so spiritually well. And I started listening to Abram Mix a lot. Not Abram Mix a love or nothing against her. And she started explaining there's no such thing as addiction. And I I, I really chewed on that. Mm-hmm. And I says, if I can go and drink, I was very young then, I, I, I think I'd be able to do it. I had a lot of discussions with my sister about it. And I was saying, I think I could do this again. And so getting up there, I kept on fans, uh, fascinated about it. But what, what caught me as well is my lifestyle with my work. When I traveled all over the world at work, there was always parties. There was always champagne. There was always suits. And I was the only person. I walked the hardest out of everybody. Everybody in the company. And and I was like, I, I, the poor me came in. Mm. Lack of meetings. Yeah. Big one. Lack of meetings. Mm. It's not, not connected the way I was connected before. Putting money in front of meetings. Chasing the dollar. And then unknowns to myself then, I had a drink in my hand and I, I, I like I'm a salesman. And, and I was able to justify to a few people that I was okay and I wasn't an alcoholic again. Mm. And I convinced a few people very close to me that I wasn't. And, and then the minute I drank, every time, and this, this is where the power was, every time I didn't order to drink, I got on a plane. And I went away and worked as hard as possible. Mm. I walked through it. Uh, and financially, I was doing very well. Probably the best I've ever done in my life. And that's what confused me. But I tell you, I was the loneliest person on, on the planet all over the world, trying to come home to my kids and my wife after being missing for a week. And my head gone, arriving in different airports. And, and I couldn't believe the progression of addiction. 
What was uh, your relationship with your wife like at the time? It was towards the end. She was all, she was very supportive of me. Towards the end, got very difficult because um, they would have been around me then a few times when I was drinking. My daughter would have seen me a few times drinking. My son would have seen me a few times drinking. I I was losing and my the companies I was doing. They saw me a few times drinking, and I, I was I was slowly but surely losing it, and I mm. couldn't I couldn't stop it anymore. There was arguments. There was there was there was commotion. There was drama. And then I, I'd be saying things if I was drunk, then I'd justify it all. And so that was that, that relationship was falling apart too. How long were you back out drinking for? I would tell you when I drank. I drank after, um, I was over in Vegas, the Conor McGregor and Chad Mendes fight. Mm. And I came back and uh, I drank about a week after that, August 2015. And then I got sober. I got sober. Um, my last uh, drink was uh, with a friend of ours mm. to me. And uh, it was over a few days in um, the summer of uh, 2019. My last drink. So three, three in, in between that, I was in and out of meetings all through the years. I kept on trying to get back. I had one dream before I drank that I was inside the party telling people I used to be well before and no one believed me. That became a reality in Asia. Mm. I was telling people once that I used to be sober, no one believed me anymore because I, got, I was in such a state. Yeah. And then when I got back the last time, whatever happened, something changed. I just said to myself, I'm going to give this a good shot. And then the next chapter of my life then started from there. I walked away from all that work. I walked away from, uh, you could say, in the, in the peak of my career, financially, I walked away from everything to come home to my kids and family. And, and then organically, I started doing stuff back here then that I always wanted to do anyway. So looking back now, it was um, divine intervention. I don't know what, but I'm just mm. so blessed yeah. to be a part of uh, what's happening now. And today you, you're... you're uh, you have your own company, you're still mm. a successful businessman. You have some of your family members employed with you. You do seminars um, where you give back your knowledge and experience to others, um, not through the medium of any mm. uh, fellowship, but it's just you're, you're off your own back. like. And uh, you, you you went to be viral there through the WhatsApp voice, you notice know, that you yeah. were sending out the TikToks and stuff like that. But um, what what's it like? Um, to have people look up channel and uh, people come to you for advice and stuff like that. Yeah, well, listen, it's, 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 uh, it's humbling uh, because what I wanted to do after the experience I had many years ago, I wanted to give back to the people of uh, the North Side. It was, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was something inside me. I wanted the people to see who Paul McCarthy really was because I had a, a difficult event years earlier and it all happened by default. Uh, a, good a good friend of my 17 years rise, he had dyslexia, great friend of mine. And what happened, I was, tr I was trying to get him to a meeting, right? And we had a family group. And he asked me, can you put that positive message that you give to me every day? I said, no problem. After a week, he said to me, Paul, do you mind if you break it down? I don't understand Abraham Hicks, which talks about vortex and stuff. He said, he goes to me, do you mind if I send it to a friend? I said, no problem. <laughs> then I send it to my wife. And before I know it, I was going to thousands of people all over the world every day. And because I'd come off social media a few years earlier, people started asking me, it'd be great to see a face. It'd be great to see someone. Then my sister, who's been a huge part of my life, said, Will you please teach the stuff that, because mm -hmm. when I, my, my, my business, the stuff with the law of attraction, I would have used that in every single company I had, but I had a product. Yeah. And that helped me to get to huge places in business all over the world and helped me to have some huge highs. And what happened then, she goes, will you do a seminar in the office? And what happened one day, I didn't want to do it. She goes, please do it. And we had 22 people, I had no script. Timmy, you read the first yeah. one. I was not the spoke. And then what's happening from then to now the challenge I have now is in the office, I can't fit the people. It's, there's so many people coming. And what I love about it is this. It doesn't matter if you're on addiction or not. What I learned over the years, there's lots of people who have no addiction. If you're on addiction, you're spoiled. There's so many meetings. But if you've no addiction, what I've learned is most people can't handle this voice in their head. So what we do in the seminar, 
we give them tools and, and techniques how to relax the voice in their head and what's after happening. No, that's gone viral in, in, in its own sense. Mm. And we went to a few hotels recently as well and the crowds are gone insane. Just and clarify, it's free as well. well it's 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 free. We don't free. do it as a business, yeah. It's, no, it's completely, completely free. free. And then what happened recently, people saying, listen, because they're getting them, they were getting the voice, we'd love to see a face. So for the first time yeah. in a long time, the same person mm. was in, uh, Roy was in the hospital and fortunately this time with COVID, and next thing he said, I had a vision that you were on TikTok. And I goes, you know what? Because I think the voice, notes, I said, they done their, they done their part. And then I was on TikTok um, a few months ago. Mm. And now that's having the same effect going crazy. We ran the radio there recently with it. People wanted me to come on and talk about that. And what I think, why I think people are enjoying it is no different with the Norris podcast. Why do people love this? Two people from the North side who mm. lived it. You were there through addiction. You turned your life around. Yeah. You've got degrees back in college and you walked the walk. And for myself, I'd been through, I'd been through a similar journey. And what happens is that what I, what I see, people see somebody from the North side talking about law of attraction, talking about them. They can identify with someone here. Like yeah. my idol is, is Edgar Tolley. But people saying we can identify with someone where we're from. Yeah. And what they love about it is when they come to the seminars is that they go home after three hours and they're able to have tools how to live. Because mm. we talk a lot about the hit. Mm. We always say the seminar is not about money. If you make more money on the back of a seminar, the tool's fantastic. Yeah. The seminar is about one thing, but peace of mind. But now the TikTok is, is, is starting to go crazy. So at the moment, we're talking about uh, going back on social media and uh, we'll see where that journey goes. But that's taught, it's a thought at the moment. Yeah. So we might explore that more. One of the things about the seminars, um, my brother Keith would have went to my mum, my yeah, mum. Your mum, yeah. Um, you could walk up to my mum's gaff, no, she'd have uh, Eckhart Hall on YouTube <laughs> and the telly. That's like, isn't <laughs> that's it? That's unreal. But I think there's a very important uh, thing there as well. You, you, you taught me this a, a good bit back because, of it, you know, you learnt, you learnt this in your own, your own, like from being a businessman, right? From being up here, and then being down there and being up there. And it was always the same thing you said, like you, you said, anytime you were in business and, and you had a problem, you'd start, if, if, if something wasn't going wrong and you were doing very well, something didn't go wrong, uh, you start focusing on the problem and yep. you'd lose track and you'd lose your path. <laughs> and believe it or not, that was something that I really needed to hear back at the time. Like, you know, um, so I, I used it in a different angle. I use it in my life. You know, I use it in my life as in uh, my well-being. So anytime I was just keep going, I'd have my vision, wanting to be well and everything. Anything, and I always use this analogy to, when I'm speaking about, say, if there's a problem comes into my life and, and I'm on my path and I'm walking my path and something comes here or something comes here, as I always say, it's like the horse with the blinkers on, mm -hmm. you know, and whatever comes here hits me and hits me, I feel it. I feel it, but I don't focus on it. I don't stop my life and stand still and go into the poor me and, mm. and be pitiful to myself, you know, and, and well in that. I pick myself up. I feel whatever I have to feel, you know, and I keep going. And I keep going. And that helped me so, yeah, so much. It's, it's a powerful too. Explain it a little bit. Yeah, because what happened to me was when I, when, I, when I went back out into the world and um, in the business world I'm talking about now, I was very good at making money, mm. but I was, I, I worked so hard to make money. When I make money and I'd, I'd be, it'd be a considerable amount of money, I'd lose it all. Mm. And so I was doing the law of attraction. I was making all this money. I was working harder than anybody I know. But then I was broke again a few months later. Mm. 
And then I was there once and I was, I never forget, I came into my, I came into a few pound and um, I read a book called The Science of Getting Rich by William Wattles. And I was over, I was over with my wife, we were over in um, Spain or Portugal, one of the place anyway. I looked at Jackie. I go, I'm after figuring it out. <laughs> she was, what? And this was, this was 2015. And it was before I went over to the Mendes and McGregor fight. She goes, what did you figure out? I goes, all the years when I got to the top of each company, I says, when I got to the top of the company, I start focusing on the problems. But life is meant to be problems. It's not the problems, it's your reaction to the problems. So because the next time I get to the top of a company, I says, I'm just going to focus on the positive. It doesn't mean I don't deal with reality. And what happened to me then, the next opportunity arose for me. And I got to the top of that company. And I got all awards, European best sales and stuff like that. Problems started rising in the company. And I caught it and I goes, ah. And instead of being caught up in the drama, I did deal with the drama, but be there for a day or two, not yeah. two or three months. Next thing, another opportunity arose for me. And next thing, the same with that company after a year, there was stuff going on. And what I found is that I just, the problems were there, but I started holding my, 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 my vibration, my frequency at a higher level. And I started staying there. And what happened from that day to this day, I've never, ever lost everything since. And what happened, I was able, I was able to build and what's something very important, I think, to talk about here is this. I was able to build residual income. Uh, I, I was doing, we were doing a retreat there recently and someone asked me, he went to college, he, four, four years of college, he didn't understand residual income. And I think this should be taught in schools because this is what residual income is. And I think everybody should be taught this from a young age. If you, everyone starts with a job. Each week in that job, if you save some money. Okay, job is not residual income because you stop working, next week you don't get paid. Use that money then, either to invest in a crypto asset Stock market, property, or a business. What happens then when you use your money you're making to invest in other businesses? Now you're creating residual income. And I was at a seminar one day, and I heard that as well. And I said, Paul, every time you get to the top, when you lose the money, you're in one yeah. business. Mm -hmm. So what happens in my recovery in 2015? I started, let's say, I was involved in crypto. Started getting involved in the stock market. Started getting involved in property. Started in gold and silver. So what happens then? You're actually building residual income. And that's what we do in the seminars too. We teach people about residual income. So mm -hmm. it's not just about your head. It's about building residual income. And over the past year, we have people who have multiple businesses. We had people on the social welfare. That's why I always talk about social welfare. And I always talk, whatever they go in the world about, not Nahini. I'm very proud of where I come from, is that it doesn't matter where you are in your life right now. If you believe in yourself, you can open a business. Because what happens when you change your belief and change your thoughts, the universe starts opening up to you. So we had people who had nodding a year ago now have one or two businesses. We had people who had nodding a year ago now are in a financially better position. But not everybody will get there because people will make mistakes along the way. And that's, that's, that's one of my biggest joys, seeing people coming from a place and see them evolving and see them growing spiritually. And we have, we have one man, he's amazing. He was actually the bartender for uh, where I drank many years ago in Temple Acre. He comes to the seminars, you know. And I was talking to him after the seminar, like, and he said, Paul, <laughs> he goes to me, he goes, this seminar will do me for another week. And it's not more financial. Mm. He goes, the peace I get from each seminar does me a full week. He goes, when I heard you doing a seminar this week, he said, the joy in my face was there for the whole week. And, and that's what I love most about all this yeah. stuff. You're helping people from the north side of the city. I know it's not just north side. You're welcome from everywhere, wherever you are. Yeah. To, just to be a better person. Are the seminars I'm going at the moment? Yeah. They're, they're, uh, right now I do them. I used to do them uh, twice a week, but the, the demand got so big. 
I, I couldn't, I had the time for it. Right now, I do them about twice a month. So they're every second Wednesday at the moment in my office. Yeah. And do they have to book or just rock up? Yeah, they they, they have to book in uh, and they, they can, they probably look, how can they get a contact with me? The best way to get in contact with me, you know, my sister has a WhatsApp group, right? I won't give out a phone number here now. What you do, they can send me a message on TikTok. The only social media platform I have is TikTok, okay? And it's, the, it's can I say my username on it? Yeah? Of course you can. Oh, yeah. It's hello, my friend. PMC. We'll put that in the link anyway. And yeah. if you send me a message, Yvonne then will add you to a WhatsApp group. That WhatsApp group is not a spam group. We get loads of messages. When there's a seminar or a retreat or anything that comes up, she'll post in there. You just tick back a box that you're, you're going or you're not going and that's it. If they don't want to be on the, the WhatsApp, they'll get my address in my office. Uh, my office is up, I just said, my office is up in the West Link uh, Business Park mm. up there by Northside Glass. Yeah. They're on nearly every second Wednesday. We, we open the door at seven o'clock to get a cup of tea, a bit of chocolate. They start at half seven to 10 o'clock. And afterwards we have a cup of tea as well. And, but they have to book in before they come because of the numbers. The numbers, of course. Of course. And I just want to say they're like, I, I've seen so many different people change to go from people that are destroyed from addictions and their mental health. And they just had no confidence and they suffered socially and, from going to the first ones and seeing these people and going back a few months later, I've seen changes from people and, and they will blow your absolute mind. You know, people that wouldn't talk before and now they're talking mm. openly, they're away from alcohol and drugs. So uh, this stuff works. And I, I, uh, on behalf of everybody that has mm. came through the seminars and done well, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. And that's, and I mean that because I've had family members as well mm. that have benefited from those seminars and outside of the seminars. You do a lot of back work in the background. I won't talk about it now because I know you're a private man in that sense. But I know you do an awful, awful, awful lot of charity work in the background and you help many, many people, not just in this country, but in other countries. Um, and all the people that know you will understand what I'm talking about here. So fair play. And, and I think recognition should be there at some point. Um, I know you're, you're not somebody that likes it, but well done. Thank you. Appreciate it. And, um, actually say one thing about people being changed. One of the biggest changes I've ever seen in my life is something that's very close to my heart is my brother well ago when I shared, because mm. I shared something very traumatic. So I, it's good to share the success story of that. Yeah. My brother was in, um, out of all of us in the North side, there's a saying, that if Glenn McCarthy can do it, anybody can do it, you know. And uh, and my brother was uh, was 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 a, like it was a very difficult case. He was, you know. My dad said to me one day, he was like thirty or so, he goes, Paul, he goes, I don't know what we're going to do. I've never seen anyone like him, my 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 brother, you know. But we always knew it was good in him. My mum and dad never threw him out, you know. And uh, that brother today went up to my mentor Stephen McGowan there over a year ago, two years now, I'd say ago. And uh, we didn't no institution would take him in Cork anymore, mm. and no psychiatric hospital would take him anymore. And we were all in fear for his life. I called over to his wife to be. He's getting married in the 23rd mm. of April. Congratulations. And uh, we said, I said, would you go up to Steve? And he said he would. Steve said he'd come up to live with me. Steve, he looked at me and said, I see an elite athlete in you. Mm. Glenn has been running since he went away. The chari- one of the charities we were involved in, it was actually out in Belarus. Unfortunately, we can't go to what's going on at the moment. Mm. And uh, it's for orphanage, orphanage uh, kids out there. And uh, the charity was struggling over COVID. And my brother still went out and ran that marathon. We all went up to support him when there was no mm. crowds or nothing. And, and the back of my brother, my brother got injured after the first uh, the first start of it. I actually went in with him 
and uh, we couldn't get videos with him. It's amazing how the universe works. So, I, so he was cursing and shouting and roaring because he did it, he did a twenty k with Stevie a week earlier and blew his leg, and he was cursing saying I would have done it only for him, and he kept on losing the head. So I kept on I kept on getting Stevie to ring me and distracting Glenn. So Glenn actually went around the whole day full of pain. He was in pieces. And I started taking videos. Glenn, this is for the kids of Belarus. And then he had to change stage straight away mm-hmm. and, and talk. But we got through the whole, the videos went viral all over the world. The charity that year raised the most money I'd ever raised before. Mm. So when people tell me nobody can do it, my brother, people give up him all over the city. Every institution gave up on him and everyone gave up on him. But one man didn't and he, one man said, come up to live with me. Mm-hmm. And that man changed his whole life, you know. And he's back down here now. He's getting married. He's getting married next month. He's after inspiring so many people of the north side. He just finished writing his book. Like, there's no hopeless cases out there, like you know. Yeah. And, and we've all been testing to that in our families mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So like that's very important. And that would have come in the back, not just what I'm doing. What's going around the whole city? Because everyone's doing their part. What James said in the last one in the opera house, I was actually at a retreat. I said to James when I go, and you know, you know the time I have for two V, you know. And uh, I was at the street and I got the news of uh, just the solo out in Opera House and I got the video sent to me and I, I, was, I was talking about success memories. I was look at this. I give a big story about yourselves, what you meant to me. And I put up the success story and then GM says, this is not a podcast. This is a movement. Mm-hmm. And I looked at everyone in the room and I says, you're all a part of this movement. Yeah. Remember that? So the Norris podcast started, right? There's so much after starting on the back of that. Mm-hmm. So there's the, 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 the ripple across the whole city Nari's podcast, the bit I'm doing, yeah. Scott started doing his yeah. meeting, my wife started a woman's meeting. There's so many people doing so much stuff and the ripple. So like when you come into the north side, no, if you're not in recovery, there's something wrong. I know. <laughs> if you didn't recovery, there was something wrong. So, and what, what I love now is the meetings. No, you don't have to be in recovery. Yeah. So there's a place for everyone. So it's great to be a part of what's happening, yeah. you know. No, there's great stuff happening and it is great to be a part of it. And it's all positive because we were, you know, like, and I, to, to wrap it up, like we were, you know, drugs and crime and all that, you know, but now we're all positive people in the community and people look up to us and people have respect for us and people come to us for help and advice and that's better than any money, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you're able to give back to your community and hold your head up high and it doesn't matter how, you know, like awards are great and all, opera house is great and all, but all you want is for your own people to, to respect you and to accept you, you know. And, and for them to get well. Exactly. And for them to and, have what you have. Bring them with us. Yeah. You know, so um, it was a pleasure talking to you, Paul. Yeah, and can I just finish up with one thing? Because like um, one thing that um, like that, I'm here, I'm glad, I'm so glad and honoured to be here to share the this conversation because I've been procrastinating about this for a long time, as you know. It was mm. a fear of mine to come back on the, the platform to go on social media because I've been off for so long. But I want to say one thing, you know, like I'm out there doing the seminars and doing the voice and all that, but I would be not in the people behind me. Yes. So I want to give a big shout out like to my mother and father, right? Mm. But like without them, like, you know, I wouldn't be able to do with this. My brother, Glenn, my sister, Nicola, sister, Yvonne, Mickey, who I always call my family, Mickey's like my brother and my wife, uh, who's at home when I was traveling all the world, and my my son Dean, my Abby, Mackenzie, and Evan. I want to give a big shout out to them because without without the people behind me, I couldn't do what I'm doing. So my support network has been amazing. So I just want to give a big thanks to them and how much I love them. And thanks, lads. Thank you, Paul. Hi, everybody, and uh, we we'll see you all soon. God bless. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.